Okay, so I'm going to be discussing allosteric or allosteric regulation and feedback loops, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, phosphofructokinase, which is a great example of a feedback loop. Um, so let's begin. Um, recall that an allosteric site is any location where an enzyme regulator binds. Okay, use this definition instead of the high school definition of, oh, allosteric sites are just any site that's not the active site. That is correct, but we're looking more at the, the concept of reaction versus regulation. I already explained this in a previous module, so I'm not going to go too much into it, but I do want to give one example. Um, or, you know, just something that helps me remember. I literally think of allosteric sites as control panels. All right, think of a control panel with two buttons, one to increase enzyme activity or start, you know, start the reaction and one to decrease enzyme activity and stop, you know, catalysis, right? And, and where allosteric activators are that on button and allosteric inhibitors are that off button on the control panel that is the allosteric site. Okay. In contrast with um, active sites where the reaction occurs. In fact, my, uh, my high school biology teacher would tell us uh, that active sites, think of active sites as the blue collar workers. They do all the dirty work. You know, they get their hands dirty. They do all the physical labor, the actual reaction itself. And then allosteric sites are kind of like the white collar higher ups, you know, in management. They just oversee it. They just control what happens. They tell, you know, the workers do this and do that. That's really kind of what's going on here is that the active site is where all the work happens. Okay. And the allosteric site is kind of just, you know, telling the, you know, telling the enzyme what to do at that active site, right? You know, increase it or decrease the enzyme activity. That's what the allosteric site is. And I want to draw this distinction. Um, you should be familiar with the graph of VO versus substrate concentration. Recall that we actually wrote an expression for VO as um, Vmax times the concentration of substrate divided by Km plus the concentration of substrate, uh, where VO, of course, is the current speed of the reaction. And we noted that in these graphs of VO plotted against substrate concentration, that regardless of positive uh, cooperativity, negative or non-cooperative binding uh, or activation or inhibition, they all um, increased in an exponential fashion and then plateaued off. And I'm going to just give you a little tidbit to something kind of useful um, to think about with this graph, and that is the um, the idea of convergence and divergence. Okay, so we know that from this reaction, uh, from this equation that I just told you, the equation for VO, that either Vmax or Km can be changing. That's it. The substrate concentration is already there. It's, it's you know much like the other enzyme concentrations. So Vmax and Km are the things that are changing, one or the other, in other words. So when the Vmax values converge, say say you have a uh, you know say you plot three reaction curves. Okay, and their Vmax that that plateau point is approximately equal. If that's the case, then the Vmax values are approximately the same, which means Km must be changing. Con you know, conversely, if those same curves, if they diverge, in other words, they have different plateau points. One plateau is very high, one plateau super low, and and something in the middle. Then Vmax is changing, right? Because Vmax is the plateau point. Right? If you draw a, a horizontal line from the plateau to the y-axis, that is your Vmax value. Um, and so that's just kind of a little, uh, literally a cheat as Khan Academy describes it. When you're looking at this graph, it can give you a lot of insight into, okay, well, I see converging you know, curves, so I immediately know this Km value is changing. Given, of course, that it's a VO uh, plotted against substrate, co substrate concentration graph. Um, and so I want to just um, make the, you know, in, um, bring the concept of activation and inhibition. Regulation is kind of the blanket term. Um, I want to bring the concept of regulation into this graph work. And specifically, activators decrease Km, which means they increase Vmax. And that's just a simple proportionality 
um, uh, statement. I, I find those very helpful. Remember, and I'll explain now what I mean by that. Remember that catalytic efficiency is inversely proportional to KM. As such, activators decrease KM because activators uh, increase catalytic efficiency, right? If you want to make something more efficient, you add an activator, which means you want to decrease KM because it's inversely proportional. Similarly, activators increase Vmax and inhibitors decrease Vmax. Um, and activators decrease KM and inhibitors increase KM. I don't know if I said that already. And so these are just proportionality statements. You can actually figure those out just from looking at the equation, but I wanted to throw that in there. Um, but with that, I'm actually going to transition into the idea of feedback loops. And feedback loops really are actually a, a you know, a complex system. They're all very complex systems, but they can be defined very easily. Okay, I'll actually, you know, in one phrase, the basic idea is that downstream products regulate upstream reactions. I'll say that again. Feedback loops are such that downstream products regulate upstream reactions. So let's say you have a reaction, a multi-step reaction. You have A yields B, molecule A yields molecule B, which yields molecule C. Okay, so we have we have two reactions going on a turning into B some reaction where a is being consumed to produce B and a second reaction where B is being consumed to produce C. Now what's interesting here is I'm, I'm going to tell you that in this situation that I'm just making up off the top of my head, C is an activator for the enzyme that powered the first reaction. Okay, so C is a regulator for the molecule A. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. If you have this multi-step chain process, okay, your downstream products, which is C, regulate upstream reaction reactions. So C has some regulation capabilities over A, right? So C maybe activates the reaction involving A. So C maybe activates it, which would be a positive feedback loop. Conversely, C maybe inhibits the actions of A or the reaction one, which involves the the consuming of A to produce B, in which case that would be a negative feedback loop. And that's really the, the entire idea of, of feedback loops. Um, and so I'm going to uh, transition now to the example of phosphofructokinase. This is a feedback loop involved in glycolysis. Um, so first we know that glycolysis is actually used to generate ATP, right? For those of you who are familiar with the Krebs cycle, uh, or not the Krebs cycle, I'm sorry, cellular respiration or aerobic respiration, you know that glycolysis produces some ATP. It doesn't produce a lot, but it produces some. Of course, Krebs cycle and the electron transport chain produce more, but glycolysis produces some ATP. And in addition, glycolysis actually requires ATP to, to function. Right. So do you see how I'm, I'm you know, um, you know, simulating the concept of a feedback loop here? Because it is a feedback loop where glycolysis creates ATP, which in turn can be used to do more glycolysis. Right. In other words, ATP is both an input and an output for the glycolysis process. So it can kind of, you know, power itself, if you will. Of course, we know that's not the case because it doesn't produce nearly enough ATP. But I'm just trying to, you know, get you familiar with, again, the idea that downstream products, ATP, regulate upstream reactions. So the product of glycolysis can be used as a reactant for glycolysis for a second glycolysis reaction occurring later. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> What you'll see is that ATP is the downstream regulator, right? Because it's a product. So now I'm going to, so now that I've explained that, I want to explain, to explain it in relation to the phosphofructokinase feedback loop, okay? And I'm going to share the reaction with you. It's fructose 6-phosphate plus ATP yields fructose 1,6-bisphosphate plus ADP. 
So we see that ATP is becoming ADP. It's being dephosphorylated in the forward reaction. And in the back, backwards reaction, ADP is being phosphorylated to ATP. What you'll notice here is that ATP is an in inhibitor of phosphofructokinase. Pause. I thought you just said that ATP um, is used to power more glycolysis, right? You know, that, that, that seems like such an obvious positive feedback loop because ATP, you know, generating ATP means more glycolysis, right? And phosphofructokinase is involved in glycolysis. Um, however, what, what's, going, what's actually going on here, I'm telling you how the process is actually you know, going down, is that at high concentrations of ATP, the system senses that we have enough ATP. We don't need any more. Okay, so phosphofructokinase converts ATP to ADP. Okay, so phosphofructokinase is an enzyme and it, it does the dephosphorylation. It converts ATP to ADP. It actually slices off one of its uh, phosphate groups. And what this does is it catalyzes glycolysis. Okay, does, does that make sense? PF, uh, phosphofructokinase catalyzes glycolysis and ATP inhibits phosphofructokinase which slows or decreases the amount of glycolysis occurring, all right? Because it, the system is able to sense that we have too much ATP, so phosphofructokinase, PFK, I'll call it, PFK converts ATP to ADP, all right? And that slows the process of glycolysis. And so we see that this is actually a negative feedback loop. And in this situation, ATP acted as an allosteric regulator. Specifically, it acted as an inhibitor, right? We know that. That's, that's clear because it, it does the slowing of glycolysis. It is responsible for that slowing. However, what we notice is that it's also a substrate. What do you mean? I, you know, we haven't been talking about substrates or active sites at all. Let me remind you that a molecule acts as a substrate if it is a reactant. Reactants are substrates. Okay, so we see that ATP was an allosteric regulator. It inhibited the process. However, it's also a reactant and therefore a substrate, right? We give a special name to these molecules. We call them homotropic regulators, or we can even be more specific, homotropic inhibitors in the case of ATP, of course. You know, they're homotropic activators, what, what have you. Um, so homotropic, I'll give you the definition, is when a substrate and a regulator match. Essentially, the same molecule is both a substrate and some regulator, right? So if any molecule, any molecule that acts as both for its target enzyme is a homotropic regulator. For example, ATP is a homotropic inhibitor because it stops glycolysis when there's too much of it. I'll give you another example, um, not of a homotropic regulator, but actually of a heterotropic regulator. We know homotropic is when uh, the molecule acts both as a substrate and as a regulator. That's homotropic. Heterotrophic, heterotropic is where it's a substrate or a regulator, one or the other. Okay, And that is the case for the molecule AMP. And you can kind of guess what is AMP? Adenosine monophosphate. Okay, so it's, uh, it's, it's, AD, it's ATP with two phosphates sliced off, and it's really, we think of it as used up ATP, okay, adenosine monophosphate. Uh, and in the case of AMP, when the body detects, wow, we, ha we have a lot of AMP being produced, what it, it realizes is that, wow, we need ATP. AMP is basically like the dead battery, and ATP is the new, you know, uh, Rayovac fresh out of the package, okay? ATP is high energy, AMP is used up. So your body says, hey, we have a lot of AMP. 
we need to produce more ATP, and so it starts glycolysis. So what we see here is that AMP acts as an activator for, for glycolysis, uh, whereas ATP acted, acted as an inhibitor for it. So we see that, right? ATP was the inhibitor and AMP is the activator for glycolysis. However, AMP is a regulator, it's an activator, but it is not a substrate. It is not an active site substrate, making it heterotropic. Okay, so just again, homotropic is where it's both a substrate and a regulator, and heterotropic means it's a substrate or a regulator. Now I can transition into uh, the final uh, topic of this module, it's very short, and it's just that um, specific reactions are good control points for these long multi-step processes. We've been talking about these long multi-step reactions for a while now through this module. Um, and there are specific reactions that are good control points. In other words, they are not easily reversed, okay? And, and the reason that it acts as a good control point is that it, you know, it's not reversible. So you're not gonna be going backwards at that step of the reaction. Okay, and uh, for those of you who are familiar with chemistry and the chemical aspects of these, if it's not easily reversible, what we see is the magnitude of its delta G value is quite low. Okay, so remember that delta G gives you information into spontaneity, right? So if you have a negative delta G value, then the forward reaction is spontaneous. If you have a positive delta G value, then the backwards reaction is spontaneous, right? So you know, we want, a, we want, we do not want a large positive delta G value, right? Because then the reaction wants to go in the reverse, right? And we don't want that for a control point reaction. And so that's why I brought, I brought the Han Academy modules bring up phosphofructokinase because it's not easily reversible. It's delta G it's standard uh, free energy value is negative 4.5 kilocalories per mole which means it is more or less a one-way reaction and therefore it's an excellent control point for multi-step processes. So really that, you know, uh, if you're familiar with rate determining steps, we see that the rate determining step is determined by delta G, right? Because it, that, that step cannot be reversible. That step has to go one way. Okay, so that's the end of the module, but I understand that this was a pretty long one. <laughs> Um, Alistairian feedback loops. So I will do a quick summary. I'm just going to be skimming through the notes. Um, recall that allosteric um, uh, regulators don't bind to active sites. Allosteric sites are where regulator regulators bind. Um, regulators influence an enzyme's kinetics by increasing or decreasing Km or Vmax. That was all that graphical information we talked about. Um, feedback loops, we're aware of positive and negative feedback loops, right? Downstream, regu downstream regulators are activators for positive feedback loops and they're inhibitors for negative feedback loops. Uh, feedback loops have control points, uh, control point reactions. The control point is a reaction itself. Feedback loops have control point reactions for long processes characterized by this single reaction's low delta G value, okay? So the, the, ideally, we want a very, very, very negative delta G value because the more negative it is, the less reversible it is, okay? A super negative delta G value means the forward reaction completely dominates and it never breaks. The backwards reaction never happens. And that's kind of a quick summary of everything we discussed in the module.